Hey, this is a quick word about our sponsors. We all know how hard it is to juggle all the things in your business. Accounts, meetings, the never-ending inbox. That's why the Clockwork Junkie podcast have teamed up with Agora Pulse. To give you more than five hours back a week when it comes to managing your social media marketing. No complicated Excel docs, long emails or millions of open tabs. Simply manage all of your social media channels in just one place. Go to www.agorapulse.com forward slash clockwork junkie to get one month free. Now all you have to do is figure out how you want to spend a spare five hours. That's www.agorapulse.com forward slash clockwork junkie. The link's in the description. Thank you. International Women's Day is held annually on March 8. This year, the team for International Women's Day is Choose to Challenge. A challenged world is an alert world, and from challenge comes change. At Lone Family Resource Centre is helping to forge a gender equal world, to celebrate women's achievements and to raise awareness against bias, and to take action for equality. We are delighted to collaborate with the Clockwork Junkie on a series of podcasts which feature a range of inspirational female speakers. Each woman in her own right, forging the way forward for women and fighting to highlight injustice in society. Thank you to PPD Pharmaceuticals for sponsoring our International Women's Day podcast series. With that said, we hope you enjoy the shows. Hey, how are things? This is Mark here and welcome to the Clockwork Junkie podcast. Thank you for tuning in as per normal. Um, this is, of course, following on for the International Women's Day, which is on the 8th of March. It's in conjunction with, obviously, the Clockwork Junkie podcast and at Lone Family Resource Centre. Um, if anyone would like to contact the podcast as normal, it's clockworkjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. If anyone would like to donate to the podcast, it's paypal.me forward slash clockworkjunkie. So first of all, I'll introduce uh, Jamie. Jamie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm I am not too bad. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I know it's extremely short notice, but I felt it was very important to get you on. I prefer short notice. It gives good. me less less anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, Jamie, true. I've heard about Jamie through a mutual friend. Um, I'm going to let her describe it herself. What this kind of what we're going to be talking about, but um. I met her through a mutual friend and I seen an article that she wrote. It's been picked up by the journal.ie and as from record, at recording time now, there's maybe 30,000 reads of it. 30,000 people have seen it and that's astronomical. Um, so can you just talk a little bit, first of all, about what the article was about and how you came to pick that subject matter, if you like? Sure. Um, so the article that just came out in the journal is about um, foster care in Ireland in the 20th century. So um, it's it was written in response to the recent Mother and Baby Home Commission report, which was released and which focuses on uh, women and children in the mother and baby homes. And so I felt like I should speak about my research, which is on fostering. And a lot of the children that I looked at were fostered out of the mother and baby homes. So um this article was just focusing on that aspect of it. Um, I do a PhD on uh, the history of foster care in Ireland. And I came to do the PhD through, um, basically I've always had an interest in uh, sort of the history of women and working class 
uh, people and um, gender and all that stuff. That's kind of the history that's always kind of grabbed my interest. And I did my um, uh, master's thesis on um, the poor law in Ireland, which was yeah. um, primarily focused on children in the world. You're in Yes. Galway. Yes. And it's, it's, yes. it's, it's, it's your final year there, isn't it? Yeah, so I'm actually handing in my dissertation in hopefully knock on wood in like the next month. I'll be done and then I'll be hopefully a doctor. <laughs> a <Yeah>. doctor. <laughs> a Ross doctor. History, is it? <laughs> yes, so I'm doing history. I'm working under yeah. Dr. Sarah Ann Buckley. She um researches child welfare history as well. Um she's someone to look into about this subject um and the history of industrial schools and all that. So yeah, so I did my master's on uh children in the workhouses and then I learned about boarding out which started from the workhouse system so it was the yeah. act of boarding a child out into the community and then I realized I want to research that area further so then I did my PhD on that that's what I'm researching and I use archival research and um, combined with oral history testimony yeah. so in my article you'll hear about that um, about people and who it's, have been um, affected. It, it you know, I suppose before we get into it, it must have been kind of a harrowing thing to um, have to research into of what happened. And it's nearly every every page you turned, there's something worse than what happened prior. Um, did you find that side of it hard? Yeah, so I found myself getting really angry all the time. Yeah. Um, I also did a side project with my supervisor on um, the Protestant mother and baby homes. And we were looking at burial records um from them and like that and the oral history like you can be disconnected i can be disconnected in the archives pretty easily like when i'm in the archives and i'm reading some stuff i can kind of like be tuning out but when you're in front of a person who i'm interviewing especially yeah. like i've mainly interviewed older men and there's something about seeing an older man tear up that is more sad you know there's something about that especially an irish man you know most irish guys yeah grew up to be stoic i'm sure you did as well like you were not so to see them sort of you know that would always affect yeah. me deeply because like they it's it's tough to see an older person of any age any whatever if you see someone who's kind of of an older age as you said yeah. that's irish someone who would never well up and now they're welling up you know yeah. straight away that something really bad has happened yeah you know? so that affected me but mainly i'm able to be disconnected from it but um I remember I saw, so you obviously probably have heard about the Hillsborough disaster um, with the yeah. Liverpool team, of course. And um, I met the lead researcher for that who helped to vindicate the victims and their families recently. He's amazing. But I asked him, um, what's his name? Phil, Scrant Phil Scranton, he works in Queens and Belfast. I asked him, I was like, I can't keep my rage out of my research. And he said, don't so that was like really good advice because I was always told in my undergrad they were like you have to be really objective you have to be really like but it's kind of nice now that I've learned I can I, I as long as I'm saying facts I'm allowed to have like rage I'm allowed to like you're allowed know. to have emotion yeah you're right yeah. you're 100 as yeah. as long as you're saying facts and that the subject matter is correct by all parties involved you're allowed to have anger or emotions or anything yeah. just what I see there is there any way you can move the screen just slightly I'm kind of seeing the top of your head okay. Oh, sorry. I like hid myself because I. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, it's just it. you're actually okay when when we kind of press for just before I press record, and then you kind of, yeah, that's perfect. You kind of yeah. step back then, but um. Sorry. 
<laughs> so, um, I like hit myself because otherwise I'll stare at myself in the corner. <laughs> so you um, you released this article and yeah. basically, you know, in Ireland, it's, you know, the mothers and babies is what it's called on, on, on the press and the news and the, the harrowing stuff that went on there. Yeah. Um. Before I suppose we talk about some of the stories, like I read the article and you just have amazing insight into what what was going on back there. And even though, you know, I I knew a lot of it, I was like, I, I read your article, then I read it again and I read it this morning before you came on. And each time I found myself getting angrier every time. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and that's just being honest. But um Yeah. So what way did did it work back then? Just before we get to the stories, like like, like what way yeah. did it work? Why were children, what was the culture? Why why were children given into these homes back then? Yeah, so it's it's a mixture of things. So basically I would argue that this is gonna sound very like like, you know, in that meme of the always sunny guy, like pointing to the map, but basically it all started with like the Irish poor law created this institutional culture. So you have people going into the workhouses. Then um, then the, I, the Catholic church were given the ability to create these industrial schools, which were these big institutions that took children in, in the 19th century and into the 20th century. That grew the institutional culture. Then you have you have the lunatic asylums, you have borstals, you have um, uh, reformatories, and these are all linked. The, all these institutions, people were being sent between them, and then so the nineteenth century was all really obsessed with just if a person was a problem, if a person needed assistance, instead of giving them assistance, instead of giving them aid, food, clothes, they had to enter an institution mainly with. So just to just to generally speak, then we turn to the 20th century and as Ireland becomes independent, this institutional culture exists and it's run by the Catholic Church mainly, but there's also the Protestant Church as well running institutions. So then when Ireland becomes independent um, sort of Catholicism is part of what made Ireland different from England. So they're like, yes, let's keep this Catholic culture. Let's keep these institutions. And the influence of Christianity was so heavy. So basically like nothing really changed for decades. So there's institutions were there, children were being sent to them um, at alarming rates and- I just uh, don't want to stop you, but why, you know, why were children being sent to them at alarming yeah. rates? <clears throat> so that's is, what's is, interesting. Is this yeah. a lot got to do with um, the single parent, young mother type of thing shunned yeah. upon in culture or was it a mix of I'm just you know I'm trying to get that was it maybe a mix of that and the fact that maybe the mother couldn't look after the baby because she was so young yeah so so the mother and baby homes back in like the they were actually around since the 1700s in Ireland but back in the day they used to be kind of used they were Magdalene asylums they weren't just yeah. mother and baby homes prostitutes back in the day could go in there if they had like a venereal disease they could get uh, fixed sort of like some medical treatment and then they would leave and come and go as they please as the catholic church was given more power in ireland they became more punitive and basically yeah so women entered the mother and baby homes um by a system that was kind of called coercive confinement they were brought in there some were forcibly brought in by guards some were brought in by their family some entered willingly on their own and mainly it was out of desperation, stigma, and shame. So there's a mixture of like 
desperation. Maybe they didn't have literal means to survive otherwise. And then the stigma and shame families were like, um, the, the woman's life could have been ruined if it was found out by the greater popular Ireland that she was a single un, unwed mother. And like so- That kind of sounds crazy to us now, kind of in the 21st century that, I mean, yeah. but I mean, back then, I suppose the complete culture, like, you know, what's happening now didn't exist. There probably isn't the state benefits that there is now where you can help people out. But also I suppose, um, like that's all the new, um that they, they, yeah. they, they didn't know anything else but one thing that i and i don't know if this came up in your research i hope i did that um uh there's no mention of like you're single so all these single mothers well, where's the fathers where is i was just gonna say that where i always wonder this like where was the men where were the men the women were sent to these institutions and most of the time i see that they would leave the institution and a lot of them would go to England to work because they wanted to like leave behind what happened to them in Ireland. Maybe their reputation was ruined in Ireland. They would move to England, start a new life. Where were the men? I'm wondering this as well. Um, but so, just before so I this, get in. This guy goes out, meets this girl. Yeah. The two of them have sex, the girl gets pregnant. She's shamed, they're unwed. Yeah. Um, she's put into one of these houses we call them. Yeah. Um, then you know, and, and the guy just goes around doing whatever he wants after that. So that's absolutely yeah, it, it's unfathomable to me. It's un and the woman. So before, let me um say two things. So before I get into that, I just want to say that children were also put into these institutions, such as industrial schools and stuff, uh, for a variety of reasons that today we would like be shocked at. Like um, sometimes it was like something that brought them to a children like court. They were sent to court as a child, maybe stealing like a candy bar. And literally I've seen someone institutionalized for stealing an apple. Also truancy if they miss school. Um, so that's just a side reason because earlier you asked me yeah. why were people sent to them. But back to the men thing. Um, so I've interviewed a bunch of, a handful of formerly foster children. And so far all of my interviewees have only been men, which is interesting. But three of them were able to find their biological mothers, but also find out who their biological father was because okay. <clears throat> yeah so sometimes from what I've so from what I've read sometimes a woman would be in the Magdalene or in the uh, mother and baby home sometimes I read that she was allowed to leave because the man came and said he would marry her so that happened a few times and it was more in like the this is a whole other thing, sorry. I sound like the crazy math guy again, but there was different levels of class in different mother and baby homes. So for the Protestant homes, the Bethany home would have been like probably the lowest economic strata of women were sent okay. there. And if you were a little bit wealthier, you would go to the Magdalene Asylum, um, which was just called Miss Elliot's Magdalene Asylum. And the Miss Elliot's girls, I saw a lot more like, oh, the men were coming to marry them. And I think that has to do with the fact that they came from families that had a little bit more means sure. and yeah but the men again like where were they like so um one guy that I interviewed his dad is still in the same town that he lived in when he got his mother pregnant and um they I don't think he ever met the dad but he met the family of the dad and everyone just kind of knew that was the dad of that baby like it was this thing of hiding women and having them go away to give birth but then the town usually knew oh that's the dad she was pregnant it was this very bizarre system of like, why are you even hiding it? Most of the women were 
again, I'm sorry, I'm spiraling out, but like a lot of the women were kicked out of their home. So they were sent to this mother and baby home and then they weren't allowed back to their family home. So it was kicked this out sort of the homes because they had fallen pregnant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially like sometimes they would return um, to the family home sometimes, but I also read a lot about women that just would go home and they weren't allowed back to their houses. So it was this culture of you know, intent, and it was intense stigma of sex and of pregnancy, but it's funny because, well, not funny, but a lot of these women, as you read, like I read in uh, one of my archives, just a description of a girl explaining to the Magdalene Asylum, the one that's like kind of the wealthier one that she didn't know, like most of them didn't know how you got pregnant, what happened, like they weren't explained. There was like a description by one of the like religious women running the place. And she was like, no one is telling them these girls how it happened. So like, oh, they were just like, I'm pregnant. I don't know how this happened because no one instructed them. And then, yeah, it's interesting. Where were the men? Like these women were sent there. They had to do hard labor. They had to stay there for two years. Most of the time it was like the, so in Ireland, the mother and baby home term, forcible term was two years. And um in England it would have been six months it would have been like just before you give birth and just after and in Ireland a lot of the different homes I looked at discussed changing it to the six months but most of the orders running it were like no if we change it to six six months we'll have to hire actual domestic workers because these women were doing free literally laundry like most yeah yeah, most of the hotels in Dublin their bed sheets were and hospitals were cleaned by these women and and, and you um like in a lot of things that you said kind of leading up to this and you've you've mentioned um you know when the catholic church kind of got involved and stuff like that yeah um like these would have in the 19th century these kind of you know homes or these warehouses whatever they were they were there as it was but when the catholic church got involved then did it worsen at that stage or or was that seen as a positive at the time, do you think? Or Well, they were already being run by the Catholic Church, a lot of them. Um, just that the Catholic Church was given more power to use them and more more were built. So like under okay. Archbishop under Archbishop McQuaid in the 20th century, um, more mother and baby homes were built. He gave more funding to this group called the St. Patrick's Guild to sort of like run this organization. And um so they were just given more power and they became more kind of morally like strict. So before they were like these institutions back when like I've read accounts of the mother and baby homes being more of a place of like sort of like refuge and not so strict you could come and go as you please but then they became very strict very like morally strict and the, the Catholic Church was given more power and I argue it's kind of like hard to explain but I argue that for the Irish state, it was just more convenient. A big part of it was convenience to let these religious orders run that aspect of child welfare because they didn't have to do too much overhead there. They were like, and um, it's, I have quotes from the Department of Health in the thirties where they're just saying, they're more qualified for this special area of the population, like meaning like women and children, like they're more qualified. So it was easier, it was more convenient. And then also just the influence of the Christian moral doctrine, people just really were taking that to the extreme. Like, you know, that's crazy because like, like now we know that's all just so wrong. Um, Yeah. 
Like, you know, like fancy, you know, a, a woman that's pregnant and the best people to look after is a nun who abstains from sex, who will never have a child. It's crazy to start off with, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's bizarre. And then there's also currently, like, I'm getting a little frustrated with, now that, like, this is back in the news again. This was in the news back when um, uh, Mary Raftery, who passed away, I think, a couple years ago, she released States of Fear and sort of broke the industrial school abuse scandal mm -hmm. that was dealt with when in 1999 and in 2000 and then 2006 that was all over the news and then the mother and baby homes became in the news again um recently and people are i mean most people are like what we're talking about like let's analyze this let's talk about how this system came to be but then a lot of people are having strange reactions where they're like i've seen articles where they're trying to put blame on the population and like I think that's definitely part of it like I think no one's blameless but I think it's interesting that people are right now fixated on finding a specific individual to blame over the system sort I've of thing. actually read articles like that as well and you know yeah. I'm, I'm one of these people where I'll take in <laughs> all the information and then make my yeah. decision but from 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 what I get to up to this point in the story and obviously we move on in a second but yeah look a girl gets pregnant. She mm -hmm. is, it's completely stigmatized. It's completely against the culture at that time, as weird and yeah. all as that seems to us now. Um, it's completely against the culture. It's, it's, a, it's, it's um, shunned. You are almost um, immediately an outcast and there is nowhere else to go. The only place you can go is to one of these refuges we call them and that's where you can go now at the time you probably don't know what's going to go on when you get in there but you know that this is and look and it's the catholic church and they love god and they're all godly and and once i go in there me and my unborn child at this moment in time will be looked after for a long period of time mm -hmm. so i can see how the government said we let the catholic church here's more power let's build more um I, I i get the feeling they might have thought that which did happen that the catholic church would sweep all the problems under the table mm -hmm. which there weren't problems but you know um yeah and then the, the girl and her unborn child or her young child or whatever the case may be goes into this this home to be looked after and i mm -hmm. think that's where the problems even start getting worse um from from what i've read and i can't wait to hear your you know your research on it that once you got in, it was like uh, well, not not all of them, but in, in in a in enough to make it relevant. Once you got in, it was like a prison. You were you were worked to the bone. Um, it was no longer your child, really. As essentially, they were in control completely of anything and everything you and your child did or didn't do. Mm -hmm. Who came to see you? When you got out, if ever. Um, and then with this great power and this kind of, it, it, it was like there were gods in their own mind. Yeah. Um, and when you're a god in your own mind and think you've complete control over somebody else, that's when, un unfortunately, the abuse starts. Um, and a, a problem I had with, with all of this is that there, there, there didn't seem, like, I mean, even now, like my background is in medical device. If, if, if you're making medical device, there's ISO checks, there's FDA checks, and they're thorough. I know there were checks back then, but they don't seem to have been thorough. They seem to have, let's put the kids out in the garden. Here's a cup of tea yeah. and a biscuit. And, you know, yeah. so if you can talk a small little bit about that, and I will interrupt you along the way with, with questions, if yeah. that's okay, when I have them. Yeah, so about, so yeah, like the, the homes themselves, like they were like 
horrible. Like the women, um, I've read records of women, like they were, uh, I was reading about the Bethany home in Dublin. The women were cleaning the sheets and they were, it was from one of the people running the home asking the government for money because the women were standing in water because it was flooding in the room that they were like cleaning in and it hadn't been fixed. And it was just terrible. It was bad treatment. I think one of the worst affected too is that some young girls were born in the mother and baby home and then they were sent to an industrial school and then they were sent back to a mother and baby home like they were institutionalized for their whole life that happened to more than one person I know like being lost in the system yeah just institutionalized for their entire lives and yeah I think like what you're saying any again like I'm sure not not everyone involved I'm not saying like we're not putting like evil bad on every labeling on people but I think anytime you give any group of people power to do something and you're not checking on them there's going to be abuse and like like you were saying so with the foster children that I looked at yeah like some of them had great experiences I've and I've also met um foster parents like some of them had lovely experiences but some of those children didn't need to be in foster care they could have been with their mothers correct and but also some of them had horrible experiences. I like know of a man who was sexually abused. Maybe we need to trigger warning your this for people who are watching, but sexually abused by his foster mother while the dad would go to sell the cattle at the fair. And he didn't even know what that what was happening to him. And he said like there was no one he could report to. I know another man, like I described in my article, who lived up in Donegal and he was forced to sleep outside. He was treated horrifically. And again, like they were just sort of, he felt like just forgotten about, like there was no one to tell. And then it wasn't until other people sort of noticed that abuse was flagged. Like a teacher would say, why is this child so sick looking? Why do they look so skinny? Or like, it was never flagged by the people who are meant to be inspecting. So like you were saying with the quality control, Mm-hmm. of the medical devices like if you're not checking on something there's going to be you know m- mistreatment and it's it it can be like you can break that down to like laziness but i think they were giving these people the people who are meant to look after the children were looking after pretty much all of the social welfare of their region of the county so they're mm-hmm. doing all that and then they're meant to also be ch- checking on all these individual <clears throat> children like hundreds of children so and then um... Like just say for a, we we we'll, we'll use the example of that um that that guy in Donegal who was um made to sleep outside and it was flagged yeah. by maybe neighbors or teachers or whatever yeah. um so eventually you know maybe that child might if it's flagged enough might be moved but yeah. there's no guarantee that they're going to be moved anywhere better in actual yeah. fact it could be somewhere even though it doesn't seem like it, it could be somewhere worse yeah exactly so. They would be they would either be moved to another home. Sometimes they were sent to the county home, and then sent back out again to another family. Um, and yes, occasionally they would flag a bad person who was boarding out, and then they would be like, "Don't board out any more kids to that family." Okay. But that would how many kids would have had you know been affected up until that point? And so I think it's important when you're looking at this just to think about. I think children in general, like the reason I do oral history and like what I teach in my history classes is that they're like a voiceless section of the population. Like they don't, their voices aren't recorded in archives unless they like are sort of keeping journals or whatever. 
And they're also kind of voiceless in even in now today, like, like they need to be talked to, to figure out what is going on, you know? It's like, um, yeah, they need, you know, a clear understanding um, of what their rights are because yeah. it's, it's like, I've looked into it a bit um, when I knew you were coming on and look, I'm not the most intelligent person in the world, but I think I have enough of a brain and I can't work it out. Um, yeah. It's, loads of different articles are actually contradicting each other you know and and like i i can only picture back to, to these poor people because like you you might be in um what do you call the the, the house thing again where where the nuns were uh the mother and baby homes the yeah. county home oh the county home so like like i read a story in one of the newspapers, um, again, I'm not going to mention any names, about somebody who was sexually abused there. And then they were boarded out to a family who sexually yeah. abused them. And yeah. then because they were sexually abused, then they were, before they were boarded out somewhere else, they were brought back to the home to be sexually yeah. abused again. Now, who does that person talk to? Because exactly everybody's sexually abusing them left, right and center. And, and there's no consequences for it whatsoever. Yeah, but, yeah. And often it's just cover your ass. It's like I, whenever I saw something about a child being abused, it was mainly like, oh, I saw the boards of health say something like we should talk to our solicitor. But it wasn't about like we need to make sure there was never like checking in on. I mean, again, we're always looking at history from the present. But like this wasn't that long ago a lot of the time. But yeah, like there wasn't much checking in with a child. And again, Ireland's awareness of child psychology was developing at this time. But there was yeah, like a child was sexually abused. I read about this one girl who was horrifically abused and like the medical attendant who sort of flagged this was like, I don't think she should be boarded out with men in the future. Like that was a solution. Like don't board her out with any men. And it's like, that's not going to, yeah. So, and again, like- Yeah, but that that would suggest that um, that we're nearly blaming her because it's men. Yeah. That, that's irrelevant. The, the, like Exactly. That's that's nonsense of the highest order. And, and like, I mean- yeah. You know, even moving that girl, for example, somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. Like, where's the where's the counselling? Where's the support? Where's the... There wasn't yeah. any is the answer. And I know the answer. Yeah. There wasn't any. And this went on for a while. Like, the mother and baby home, the last one closed in 1996. Like, yeah. I was alive when the last one closed. And, um, I mean, they weren't the same mother and baby homes. Like, at that point, mm. they weren't... You could leave them at your own will and all that. But this... It was... It, yeah. And um, I kind of want to say that, like, when we're talking about all of this, we're just trying to understand how this happened. I think it's important to understand how it happened. But I think right now the media is really obsessed with blame. And I think we should, I think especially because the Catholic Church is still profiting and like all of that, I think that's an important place. I think it's important to look at the state and the church and the population. But I think it's just an understanding of how this happened that should be more of the focus instead of this is there's this weird right now I think I'm rambling but there's something that happens when a group of people come out with something bad that happened to them there's some sections of the population that feel it's necessary to come up and say we didn't have it that bad and I'm like what is makes that urge happen you know what I mean like there's yeah. right now I'm seeing a lot of people sort of interacting with different articles and like on my article a bunch of people commented being like well, that was just the way things were and they need to get on with it. And we're like, yes, but we need to talk about it. And also they don't need to get on with anything. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's No, it's um, anybody who writes anything like that is an absolute 100% moron. 
Yeah, with, but I'm seeing it. No brain, zero empathy, and 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 no yeah, good and whatsoever. I think like if you're having a hard time, other people are allowed to also have a hard time. Yeah. Like, you know, it's hard for, I don't know. I think sometimes people feel like they, they, maybe they were let down by the state in the past and they feel, and it's like, yes, well, let's address your problems as well. Let's address all of it. Like, yeah, I think yeah. um, you're right about the, the blame thing because when I first became aware of it, um, like I, I was brought up as a Catholic and then I'm I'm an atheist now. I'm an agnostic. I, I don't know for sure. Yeah. And the the minute I heard about it, I said, Oh, that's them nuns. You know, I was so thick and angry yeah. and typical. I wouldn't be a bit surprised what you know but yeah. The the power and stuff like that. And then when I got a bit more, I said, Oh no, sure, it must have been the government for sending them there, you know. Like yeah. I mean, if I send my child into a line of dens, is that the line of dens fault? Or that they're yeah. then mine's fault, or is it my fault? It's probably half my fault as well. Yeah. And 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 then you look back at what like what was the culture like back there? What else could they've done? Was there any other services out there um yeah. that was broadly available to everyone? And from what I've heard, you might tell me different. There, there just wasn't. So mm-hmm. what choice did they have? Yeah, really? so exactly. Like basically, for example, I'm finding right now in the Leitrim um something interesting that i found is that their board of health who would have been in charge of like the county homes and boarding out they were way more lenient with i'm, I'm yeah i've yet to figure out the why of this um okay. maybe if any leitrim people were around in the 20th century and want to let me know um they were way more lenient with directly helping a family like so there were strict rules that Basically, in order to prevent people from wanting to take too much aid from the government, we see this today as well. If you wanted your family to be assisted, you all had to enter the county home, all the whole family. Oh. And um, unless you met a certain criteria, if you had a certain number of kids, I think you had to have over three kids, then you could get aid at your house, like given to you without entering. So it was this kind of like strict thing. And same with like, um yeah so if a, a husband wasn't allowed to work while his family was in the home but basically Leitrim was really I've just found in the records they were really lenient with giving people like oh so and so is r- low and we're gonna give him and it was mainly like money for clothes and food and milk okay. and blah 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 but they just seemed very in the 30s and 40s I'm just seeing them v- being very like directly lenient and I think it prevented many families from having to get institutionalized and so I'm thinking that might have been because Leitrim didn't have the literally didn't have room in their county home didn't have like it was and also it's a smaller place they just it's easier like Claire for example was very strict like they they stuck to the law sorry we can't give that to you because you don't meet this thing so certain places were more lenient and when they were lenient people avoided entering the institutional system but like a lot of women, my friend Lorraine Grimes, she researches women who left to go to England okay. to go to to go to their mother and baby homes. So England had mother and baby homes as well, but they were way less punitive. Like you, it was like a six month stay. Yeah. And so Lorraine looked at a bunch of women who were like, "Well, I don't want to go into the Irish one because that's a two year thing, and I have no support here, so I'm going to go to England." And so it's interesting. Yeah, they really didn't have an option a lot of the time so yeah you're right in that that was like you know like it 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 seems like it was so many years ago but like you pointed out it's actually recent it's very very recent history and look it's a good thing that um 
uh, uh, you know, a, a lot has improved since then. Probably yeah. not everything, but I suppose a question for you. Um, so for all those people involved, all those people who, um, you know, were sexually abused, who who had their children taken from them. Who, yeah. I, I, I've, I've read stories about women who were eventually finished their program, if you like, they were allowed to go out. Yeah. When they came back to get their kids, their kids were moved somewhere else. Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. crazy. Like, that's, you know, you'd be put to jail for that now, like. What's crazy to me is like, I, yeah, so I originally assumed that when that happened, it was because those institutions were profiting off of like, there was a lot of illegal adoptions to the US and they were getting money for it. So that made sense to me because at least they were getting money. I mean, I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying it made sense why they did it. But then I found children who were forcibly fostered. So the state is paying that child's foster fees for its entire life where the mother was happy enough to just take the son out. So I'm, that is something I'm still wondering. I'm like, why were we putting children into the system? Take like watching over them when it wasn't necessary. It just, it's mind boggling. So yeah, I found that one, one of my interviewees, he is so amazing. um, And I, not going to say his name, but he did give me permission to like paint it on a billboard, his story. Cause it was, he was the one whose mother, um, was allowed to leave the home. It was St. Patrick's on Navin Road in Dublin. She was yeah. allowed to leave to go work for a guard and she was doing domestic duties. She went back to the home one of the days and he wasn't there, the son. And um, the guard that she worked for noticed that she was like deeply depressed because she just wasn't able to function. And he took her to all these different institutions looking for the kid and he vouched for her and the nuns just wouldn't show her a child and she gave up. And then he was fostered. He was driven. He was driven by a politician, which is interesting. I wish I could remember the name of the politician from Dublin to Mayo, fostered out there, abused by his foster mother. And then it wasn't until his wife that he later met, and like he has him and his wife are so in love and it's beautiful, that the wife found the mom for him or helped him find the mom. Um, in in England and she had other children and they all connected which is nice you know nice end to the story but (laughs) and he found out who the father was too which was up in uh like Dundalk or in the north somewhere um and why did did you find out from talking to this guy why could um like when you say that that you kind of gave up that you threw in the towel that was obviously after looking um a couple of times if she had the support of a member of Angarda Shikhan as well but Was there any reason that they could, like, obviously the child had been moved, so there must yeah. have been a reason why they couldn't find the child if... Um, and they also could. It was, it's crazy to me because he he later did a freedom of information, which anyone, by the way, if anyone's listening and they were in this system, you can do a freedom of information to the Irish state and you can get your records. And so he got his records. Like, they always knew where he went. He went to um, an institute, an industrial school. They always knew. But so the woman came back and she was like, where's my son? The nun wouldn't tell her. They changed his name. Like he had a middle name and a first name. And they were both very stereotypical Irish male names. They switched them. And um, so she went to all these institutions looking for her son. And she said, if you show me a son or show me a boy, I'll know if it's him. And the guard, the guard actually said, I will stand in a court of law and say that that's her son. And they just wouldn't allow it because they said, well, he's reiterating this to me. He said that they said that 
they thought because she was so desperate for her child that she would have said yes to any kid which is crazy like she wouldn't have like it's bizarre it was a mistrust I mean yeah at the base of all this is like they didn't trust that's an irony that they didn't trust somebody and they're probably one of the most untrustworthy organizations that has ever existed in the history of mankind it is crazy like I'm from Boston and um yeah like the abuse scandals that broke in Boston and then also Baltimore in the U.S. and it's all over the fucking world oh sorry I swore but (laughs) so here's here's a question so we are where we are um what next what's the next step for for the people who was involved in it um for the rights like yeah are the rights clearly understood of what rights they have now is 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 that clearly understood because i've had a look at it and and it's i'm reading i can't work it out no no well i don't know so i we i think the historical world the historical research world we're all annoyed that like or we've been a bit annoyed that only one i think only one historian or two historians were used for the commission and um why that should have been a whole historical team of people and um yeah like i know different people want redress and they're not getting it um and and like i work with the bethany home who are protestant survivors this guy derek leinster sort of fights their cause they're getting very little recognition because they weren't in the catholic institutions people are confused like i even had to write like my interviewees, a lot of them are older and they were like, I can't read the commission report on my computer. And he called and they wouldn't give him a physical copy. But then my supervisor was like, they have to. And then, so we got it to him, but like, it's, it's, it's kind of a shambles, I think. But also I think right now, if we're going to be, yeah. And I think if we're going to be talking about this now, and we're going to be apologizing, the government's now done like three official apologies then let's look what else is going on right now like the direct provision system i think is modern day magdalen laundry modern day industrial schools those institutions with children inside of them and with like vulture funds profiting i think we're going to get an apology about that in another 20 years and i think like you know so and yeah so basically i think right now a lot of the survivors would like some sort of financial redress i know that my one of my interviewees couldn't he wanted just psychological free psychological services and they denied him and i'm like we can give them something like these people have suffered like you it's um it's good to get an apology yeah but you can't cash that you know and when i mean cash it i I don't just mean monetary i mean like it's 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 a holy disgrace and embarrassment that someone who's been through uh this system yeah. And all they want is to get psychological help to help them through it. Yeah. Um, that should be, in, in my opinion, should be the absolute least to get. Yeah. The least. And it's not that these people are, oh, this happened to me now, so I, I might get a couple of grand as well. It's yeah. not that at all. No. If if I was growing up and I was sexually abused and moved house and put here and put there and Never mind feeling your whole life like you're not wanted. Um yeah. everything worse that that's bad in the world can happen to you. Yeah. Um I need counseling 100 percent I wouldn't have a full-time job. I'd be lucky still to be alive that I didn't kill myself. Exactly. Like I'm in so I go strong. to counseling now and I yeah. rely on it and I have not had that horrific childhood that yeah. they might have had. Yeah. But these people are here today, they're older now. They're they're just so strong, they're so tough. Oh my gosh. Um, and because they're so strong and so and so tough, 
that doesn't mean that we should leave them behind and say, no. look, well, they're, they're after dealing with it. That's that's just nonsense of the highest order. Like there still should be, if anything, every single organization that's good should yeah. be rallying around them and helping them with it. It'd be like if a soldier gets um injured during war, he's brought in by everybody else and he's everyone surrounding to make him better as they possibly can. This should be happening to these people. Yeah, we should be rallying around them. That's so true. Um also there's another problem where so I do, my project is separate from the commission. We're not connected at all, but um, I know that the oral history testimony that was used for the commission is being deleted. And the, there's no reason for that. And also the people who gave their testimony didn't know that that was happening. That in itself is traumatizing. Like they don't want it deleted. They don't want the records. Same with the Magdalene records. Like they don't want those records sealed. Like, I don't understand this system. No one's asking the people who are directly affected. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's like, um. The people who weren't affected at all whatsoever seem to be making all the decisions for the people that were. It's absolutely yeah. it's as if they know like, best, you know. I've seen I've seen certain party members claim like, oh, it's legality, it's legality, but like it's just basic human dignity. Um yeah. wait, I just had another point I was gonna make. Oh, the and it's crazy to me that we're still having the church run our new hospital system. Like we're having church members on boards of our hospitals and we're like, I'm sorry, did we not just apologize to the country for what the heck is going on? Sorry, it's just- Yeah, like oh, anything, I, I'm a big advocate on this podcast that anything that's set up, any organization should have the best in class at all times. Um, It's absolutely yeah. irrelevant whether it's, I, I, I've said this a couple of times, I don't think like, well, look, this is the best woman and this is the best man. No, yeah. everyone's together. There is no sexist. Whoever's the best in class for that job should get it. And, yeah. really. um, and if people of the Catholic Church are doctors, well, yeah. I can see why they're part of the team. If they're not yeah. doctors, they should not be there. Maybe have a representative like they do in the army where there's a, a padre that comes in and yeah. makes the prayers of somebody sick. That's okay, but you don't need to That's be on a board. Okay. Yes, I'm absolutely fine with chaplains coming to your bedside. Sure. Yeah. That's fine. But running the hospital and running the, like, that's crazy. They're making decisions about, like, what services are available. And anyways, yeah. all riled so, up. <laughs> so there, um, look, this is going to rumble on for years. Um, you know, there's nothing, you know, like, you, you We've, we've discussed everything here now and that's finished and this podcast is going to finish and if you're listening to this podcast now, thank you and that podcast is going to finish. But then, what do we do about it? Like, like do we just say, like you mentioned yeah. earlier on that um, it's always looking for blame and I agree with you there yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, and look, there is blame, but I mean, we can't change that now. We, we can make sure it doesn't happen again, but we can't change it. Okay, so yeah. now the next thing is how do we help the people who are, like, like what, what I can't understand the most is like the least I expected was for everyone to surround these people with the love and the care and the nurture and everything that they could possibly need. I understand someone won't even come out and say it because they're ashamed themselves. Oh, yeah. Horrible oh, way to be. Another, yeah. But there should be, these people should be helped. There should, there should be no expense spared. It's nothing got to do with money. There should be no expense spared. It should be helped yeah. in any way possible. And instead, they're nearly being silenced. Their 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 our records are being deleted, like like, like they had to go and give them records in the first place. How hard was that? Now it's going to be deleted. And yeah, and like the disgrace. fact that, like the government like has money, like we and also 
say like Apple, we're not taxing them. Like give these people a little bit of support, give them some redress, I think. And also just, I know that like, yeah, just rallying around them, supporting them. I know that like the survivors have different survivor networks. There's the Chum Home Survivor Network, Bethany Home Survivor Network, and the Irish Church Missions have their own survivor network. If you want to support any of those yourself, that's fine, but it shouldn't be on the general population to do so. But um, yeah, and like, it's it's horrible. There's a man named Peter Tyrell, Tyrell, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's an Irish surname. <laughs> and he committed suicide in the 20th century. I think it was, but he was, I forget the year, but he was abused in an industrial school and he wrote a memoir called Founded on Fear that was published after his death. And he had been in touch with Owen Sheehy Skeffington, um, politician at the time, trying to get this story out. And his memorial was last year in London, because I think that's where he was buried. And all these survivors from the Irish system all gathered. And it's just to see like all those people, like there's something about like our older people in our community should be like our most revered and our most supported. And like, I think a lot of them, especially during the pandemic, they just feel forgotten. And I think it's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so I, I don't know what like we could in, do. In other cultures, the older people are wise elders. They're like yeah. you said, they're referred and their, their respect is never put in question. It doesn't seem yeah. to be the case in an awful lot of cultures and it's an absolute disgrace. That um, article or that memoir that you just spoke about there, yeah. will you send that on to me if you find it? And I'll yeah. leave a link below because it, it might be interesting that people might want to go and read it. On the link yeah, if anyone want to read more, there's that. There's States of Fear um, by Mary Raftery. Um, my supervisor has a book called The Cruelty Man about the NSPCC. Um, there's um, uh, Moira McGuire has published a bunch of good stuff on this. She was like one on the cutting edge sort of um, about this. If you look her up, she has a bunch of books and articles. I think she's based in the US, but she's from Ireland. Um, yeah, so yeah. And I think the other thing now is that um, it's all about like looking at the past. It was like a lot of classism, a lot of sexism, a lot of all that that made the system exist. So now it's just about like, how can we teach our kids sex ed? How can we destigmatize single mothers? How can we, you know, avoid the shame and pressure? Cause it's still happening. Like we still are encountering people who are pregnant and they're ashamed and all that. Yeah. So it's moving forward and trying to like, I know it's just look like the world is hard enough as it is to survive and you know, the, the least we should do is of any country i'm not saying ireland of any yeah. country the least you should do is be able to look after your folks that are in that country um your own you know like when when i think of what happened to these people um like it is you know kind of in history but it's the it's the recent history but i look at that happening to like my brothers and sisters irish men and irish women and, and it gets yeah. me so angry and i know me getting angry is absolutely irrelevant because it helps nobody um and i i, I just wish there was somebody far cleverer than me that came up with a big initiative to make sure that they were looked after and it was ran correctly um, yeah i think yeah i think now um yeah because it's it's rough where they're coming together survivors of different institutions are coming together but again they're older and we're seeing like there are 
people supporting them. Um, there's a big oral history project being done with the tomb home right now um, at NYG. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, I you're right. Like this should be a big, a big thing. Like for example, the Bethany home that I helped, um, I helped find names of some of the babies who deceased at the home, and this man Derek, like he just he made they funded their own memorial for it, you know, and it's beautiful. But it would be nice. Yeah, it would be nice to see something that the, the general population does for those people. In your research, did you um, come across all the, the, the hundreds of baby bodies that was found? In the tomb home? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, like, I didn't look at tomb, but I've read all about it. And Catherine Corliss really, like, fought that case. And um, that's still being looked at. But I looked at the Bethany home, which is a, uh, the Protestant home. And I have never been so affected by research where I was just blindly, I was sent in by my supervisor and she didn't want to give me any details about what I was doing because they were potentially going to use my testimony for, um, like in case they needed to use my testimony for anything like legal, legality or just for their cause. So she sent me in and she was like, look at these undertaker records and write down anytime you see children's death. And she didn't tell me what I was looking for. And then I noticed more and more institutions involved, institutions, institutions, then there was a period in the 30s where there was just infant death, infant death. There was, I mean, it was clearly like at the time there was an outbreak, I think of uh, pneumonia or something. But I was like, this is outrageous. Cause it went on, it was too late. It was much too late in the 20th century for that many babies to be dying. And then I literally have never been, I sat in my chair and I was like in fury. I have never been so filled with rage from my research. Like I literally was like, I'm so mad. And, so this didn't just happen in Tume, it happened at, there are mass graves all over the country. Wherever there, wherever there was a children's institution or a mother and baby home, there's gonna be a mass grave there. And I guarantee that. And you'll see it if you ever go down to Letter Frack, um, there's like a memorial for the children who were abused in that home and there's children buried there. And so it wasn't just Tume, I kind of like, I'm really glad that that's being revealed, but I, I think people are free, like not realizing that, that this wasn't just tomb. It was everywhere. It's crazy. Like that, like that's, you know, of, of everything that happened and it's all really, really bad. I think that's the most horrific thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, yeah. Because it wasn't like even one, in, in our opinion, is too much. But hundreds yeah. all over the place. I mean, what did these, it just goes to show their regard for life. It, it, it was like they were playing with men, uh, Monopoly money, it not was, real life, was, not real yeah. people. And people were, again, yeah, it has to do again with, I think a lot of it was classism too. Like these people yeah. were looked down upon like, oh, like, cause I, I found that some of the like higher class, upper class places, children were buried more properly, you know? There's a little bit of that. It was like looking down at people as if they're not like, they're you not. Don't, you don't even need to be buried. I'll show you in a skip with the 55 others who were there. It's absolutely. Yes, crazy. exactly. Right. Yeah. That's and cool. oh, that, and then like, so sad. I heard some testimony from tomb survivors where this one woman was like, I don't know. We think that our brother is in there, is in that mass grave, but we don't know. And she like, her eyes got all teary eyed and she was like, I we would like to know, you know, if he's there. Of course, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, it's it's awful. And then I also got would get us. I mean, it's all devastating. But I would 
get upset whenever I saw in my research, like a woman and a child who were died. Cause a lot of women, not a lot, but enough of women gave died giving birth. Um, and a lot of these like homes had their own sort of labor wards and they wouldn't have been the best medical no. treatment, you know, <laughs> like, and God, those women like must've really, it must've just been a shit go with things. It was just, it's like the worst, you know, it, uh, so there's, you know, like you, there's this big thing with uh, 9-11 of the, I'm sure you've seen the falling man where it, it was too warm inside. So he had to jump. Yeah. So I, I, I uh, kind of put that, I akin it to these ladies who were pregnant and that they yeah. could not stay where they were and they had to go, even knowing, like, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that these women that went in didn't think it'll be fine after a period. They would have heard the stories, they would have known, yeah. but they had no other choice. There was no support, no backup. Yeah. Zero responsibility for the father of the child. Um, the, the, their own family probably completely, you know, shunned them, uh, ashamed of them, exiled them from the house. No such thing yeah. as the prodigal son. You have nowhere else to go, only here, which is absolute torture and prison in the yeah. majority of places. And they still had to go there knowing that working all the time, probably mightn't see their kid again. Their kid could be moved somewhere else. If not, dead yeah. within a couple of months. Horrific. Yeah. And same with the industrial schools where children were sent, they were severely abused. And like, I think some of the most harrowing stories are like the runaway. So there's a big, like if you look at the Irish newspaper archives, there was a lot of articles about runaway kids from the industrial schools that were brought back. And the local community members just thought, I mean, they must've had an inkling that things were going wrong at that institution, but they were like, oh, these are bold children. And there's all these children yeah. that like from letterfrack that escaped and then they were brought back. And then it's just, and then it's sort of like, yeah, it's sort of like what people kind of had an inkling, oh, you don't want to go there. I remember, I know that the Cruelty Man, which is the National Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Children, was used as kind of a threat. Like my grandmother is from Galway and she was always told like, if you don't go to school, the Cruelty Man is going to come for you. And that was the man or woman who would sort of be the reason why you were put in an industrial school. And yeah, yeah, like, like you said, a lot of them entered, they were desperate, and that was the only choice they had. Um, and then, like, so I, I, I won't um, let the podcast go to, I'm, I'm absolutely fuming here. I'm, yeah, I know, I feel, <laughs> I, I, but uh, look, that, that helps nobody. Um, it's not yeah. very often I'm lost for words, I can tell you that, but, but I, I like your, um, I, I, it's something that I haven't even really thought of which which I'm excited to be done with the dissertation because I can put it out more to the world, but also because I can stop and do more things. And I love that idea that you have about like doing some sort of a national, like, I don't know, memorial or a national, like something coming together to unite all the people affected because it yeah. was so far gone and there are small things happening, but it would be great to see something big. Like you can't be stigmatized for something that happened to you. Yeah. If you are raped, it is yeah. not your fault. You cannot be stigmatized. I'm yeah. 18 months now recovered. I had depression for, 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 for 10 years, chronic depression. I could have killed myself, everything. And I didn't, and I'm fine now. And I'm, and I speak about that on the podcast all the time. Um, but like, even then that was, that was what, maybe 12 years ago now, that was even at the time, like it's even way more um, normalized now that you can get that and everybody gets it and it's not stigmatized. Oh yeah, like, absolutely. Life is life. 
things go wrong and you have to admit that they're wrong and and and, and uh, try to fix them then people aren't shouldn't be stigmatized if if they're still alive now and 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 you know didn't kill themselves they're fucking heroes they're heroes because Honestly, they just survived like, all that it's amazing and it's amazing what, what like yeah like i go to counseling as well and i'm also like recovering from depression and anxiety and my therapist just always like I love thinking about like the strength of human nature like the things people are able to go through and survive and like especially my interviewees like to like bring it to a bit more positive light like I've interviewed all these people that had horrible childhoods and I wouldn't judge them if I, I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't able to carry on but these people have created amazing lives for themselves like they have these big families and they they have they all have kids who are really empathetic and their kids are all kind of fighting their causes for them which I think is another thing I think that's good to think about a lot of them have families that are now angry and they're like we are going to take this on as your kid and they all have beautiful families and I'm like wow if they can bounce back that's amazing and- that's that's magical like you know you can picture like even They've, they've exactly what you're saying they like yeah. i when when someone speaks to me i'm looking at them and i'm talking but my mind opens up at imagination of i always picture scenes when someone speaks to me but yeah when when you were saying that um i can picture that the person who went through all that had their family decided they're going to raise their family correct yeah and as the family grew older time moved on some things became more transparent and a lot of things became very very less acceptable than they were now yeah. the kids get older and they say no ma'am we're gonna fight now she has a team and and, yeah. and, and it just must be so in empowering and and, yeah. and that is a positive thing you're right i think we should leave on a positive note yeah and i think the ones who spoke to me were mainly able to speak to me because their families guided them i had a few yeah. people reach out to me that i think they were living alone and i could tell they were just a bit more apprehensive but these people, yeah, they have these, like, especially that one man I described earlier who was sexually abused and physically abused. He has, oh my gosh, so, and his story of meeting his wife is so beautiful. Like, he just talks about her, like, I just, I was like, oh, my heart melted. He was like, this whole, and then they're just so in love. And yeah, their kids are the ones that are now like, they're, a lot of the time their children were who got in touch with me and were like, hey, I think you should talk to my dad and you should talk to my mom. And it is great. And it's, it's, I'm like, wow, like that's impressive. I just like if there was something where um, like there is a couple of, you know, programs set up like you m- mentioned, but then yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's people who have went through it all and who currently may live alone, like you mentioned as well. Yeah. Um, Like I don't think anybody who went through that should live alone. Like obviously on, on yeah. if, if that's their choice, that's no problem. But I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like, look, I, I'm not saying I have answers. I, I, I don't. It'll be someone much cleverer than me. Probably but it's a good conversation to. to start. And I think if anyone's listening has any ideas, I think that's like a great idea to start talking about. Yeah. If, you know, yeah. Look, I'm going to leave it there before <laughs> I explode with anger. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you for coming on the podcast. I know that's um hard subject material to talk about. I, I you did it with a smiley face, which was good. Um. <laughs> Well done on your research. Thank you. Uh, well, well done for taking it on. I know it was hard. Um, well done for telling the stories of the people that you met. I'm glad that your article in the journal, journal.e is gone. As I said, there's over 30,000 people have viewed it. And Thank I wish you every success in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been-
been great talking to you. Thank you for listening to the Clockwork Junkie podcast and we'll chat again soon. Bye-bye.